God, we desire to just be, to be still in your presence. God, we desire that every word of these songs that we sing bring glory to you. That as we're transformed by these things, that this is our spiritual act of worship. Now that our worship would be a pleasant aroma to you. God, would you be in our presence this morning? God, as the prayers were going up this morning about wanting to be still and also wanting to be exuberant and and be able to find the joy in your word and encountering you. God, only you can mix those perfectly together. So Father, we would pray that you would just superintend over our service. I pray that you would prepare our hearts to hear your word. God, that it would be active and living and able to divide bones and marrow and thoughts and intentions of our heart. God, would you encourage those that need to be encouraged? Speak loudly to those whose whose ears are hard to hear. God, have your way with us this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I love that song. What a great picture from Revelation where it says the 24 elders take the crowns and they put them down at the feet of him who sits on the throne and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What an incredible picture. And thanks for putting those songs together because in one song we sing, better is one day in your house and, and, and then thousands elsewhere. And so you see we're, we're already preparing ourselves to, to be standing in front of the throne and then... And then the next song that we sing is us putting our crowns down in front of the throne. And you just see that whole picture of what we long for. We long to be in the presence of God. And so thank you. That's just what a wonderful set. It always, it seems like every time I get up here I have to take a minute because it, I have to transition from, from worship to, to getting in the word. What a wonderful time. Well, my name is Chris Richards. I'm one of the pastors here at Windsor Community Church. Welcome to all of those who are visitors this morning. If you're not a regular attender, uh, what we do here at Windsor is we, we uh, preach straight through a book, verse by verse. And we are in Genesis, and we will finish up chapter 17 this morning. And so Genesis chapter 17, I'll let you find that. We're going to start in verse 15 and read to the end. And so what we have here is, is God speaking to Abraham and, and reaffirming the covenant that he made with him earlier on. And in this one we saw last week, God changing Abram's name to Abraham from exalted father to father of nations. And we see a number of other things where he, he institutes that lovely uh, <clears throat> covenant uh, called circumcision. And we see that, saw last week that obedience is, is just an outward sign of faith and what, obe- and, and what Abraham did with that. And we'll, we'll reiterate that a little bit this week as well. So Genesis chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 15. And God said to Abraham, 
As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him a fruitful and I will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes. And I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac. Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskin that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in his house, and those bought with his money from the foreigner, bought with his money from the foreigner, were circumcised with him. What does homiletics look like when you're talking about circumcision? (laughs) As I I read that, my mind just gets all, wow, what do you do with this? Well, let's start at the very beginning. What happens here? What's the picture that we have? We started last week with God coming to Abraham and reaffirming the covenant. God changes Abraham's name, tells him about circumcision. The circumcision wasn't a new thing. And so he, he tells him this is going to be the way you are going to rectify this covenant and then he says to him oh and your wife Sarai and Sarai means princess that's interesting out of princesses come kings her name is princess and and as you study back and forth it seems as though he God changes her name to Sarah which also could mean princess and so we change her name from princess to princess Why would you do that? And after studying a little bit further, we see that Sarah actually, and it all depends how we look at it or or where the the, uh, second word Sarah comes from, but Sarah actually means mother of nations. Well, Abram meant exalted father, Sarai, princess. Abraham means father of nations or father of multitudes. And Sarah means mother of of nations, And so we see this thing fitting and God preparing Abraham and Sarah for what's coming in this covenant. Why, and, and 
as you're preparing this, you always have to write down, why, why, why would you change their name? I mean, really, in the end, what's the point? Couldn't Abram, exalted father, still have a son and still have that son, Isaac, become uh, his, his heir and all the way through? Or Sarai, princess, that's good enough. Even if you change it from Sarai to Sarah and it's both princess, why would you change their names? And so I got kind of carried away with this and I went through all the different places where God or Christ changed somebody's name in scripture because here's what I thought. I thought, well, all right, I'm, I'm looking at, at Abraham and Sarah and they um, catastrophically blew it. And we saw that when they decided to, to take this, the covenant action in their own hands and, and have Ishmael. They blew it. And as God changes their name, all things are new. The old is gone. The new has come. And, and so he's, he's reestablishing his covenant with them and getting rid nah, that'd be okay until you get to Jacob, until you get to Peter. I mean, God, Jesus changes Peter's name right off the bat. Maybe he was preparing Jesus or preparing Peter to, to mess up so he could call in Simon every now and then and call him Peter some other times. But in the end, that, that kind of failed. There, there's really no explanation as to why God does this. But we see all the way through Scripture, all the way back to Genesis, when, when God took, Ab- or took Adam and said, name the animals. And we learn from that that the r- naming means sovereignty over. When you name something, you're taking sovereignty over that piece. And in this covenant, God is reestablishing that he's taking sovereignty over what's going on, and he renames them. He renames Abraham and Sarah and prepares them for that. And in and, and part of that, there's a, there's a passage in Revelation 2 that I just love. And that says, to those who overcome, you'll be given, I'm not even going to try and figure out what all this means, but you're going to be given a white stone. To those who overcome, to those who profess Christ in this life and make it to their end of their life professing Christ, those are the true believers in Christ. Those are the true followers. Those are the ones who, in the end, are still standing. All the way through Revelation, you have this passage that says, or this, this repetition that says, to him who overcomes, to him who's standing in the end, how are you going to know if somebody was just talking smack all the way through their, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. I, I believe. I love Jesus. Go to how do you know the difference between that person That comes to church regularly, but in the end does not truly commit their lives to Christ. Well, it'll be weighed in the end. And it says here, to him who's standing in the end will be given a white stone. And on that white stone will be written a new name that only he will know. You won't know what that name is until you get that white stone. But... What that is, it's just a symbolism of the Holy... This is your ticket into heaven, essentially. When you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, that's your ticket into heaven. When you become... What, when, when your spirit is renewed, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are with Christ, and, and, and you're new. The old is gone, the new has come. And in Revelation 2, it says you're going to get this stone with this new name on it. Just like Abraham got this new name, and he was ready to have this, this different place in God's economy... Well, that's what's going to happen with us too. And so, so naming through scripture is, is quite a big deal. And we can look forward to that day when we too will get that new name. When we too will have that issuance into a different place in God's economy. So Sarah gets 
a new name. And she is ready to become a mother of nations. And then how does... I love this passage. Um, how does Abram respond? It doesn't just say... He giggled. It doesn't just say... He thought about it and, and came up with, that's a good idea, God. I see how that works. Yeah, Sarah, 89 years old, going to bear a son. Just get in this man's head for a minute, okay? As he tried already, he tried to take care of God. God was going to have to work too hard to produce offspring through Abraham. Okay, nothing short of a miracle was going to bring an heir from the loins of Abraham and Sarah. Nothing. And so he decided, you know what, we got the Hagar thing, yeah, oh, that'll work. I got this problem, I can solve it doing it this way, and there's nothing illegal about it, it all works. And when God's talking to him, you can just see Abraham putting these pieces together. And it says, he fell on his face and laughed. We're talking belly rolling here. He, he heard from God, and God said, here's how it's going to work. And I think everything crashed into Abraham's mind at once. Everything. And out come this, this involuntary response of laughing when he saw his true shallow faith. He had faith. But when he was, he was kind of confronted with how small his view of God was and how big God really was what God was going to do and he fell on his face and laughed now this happens a lot right even this last week um, it was it was interesting because as I was studying through this this happened to me Um, a prayer request was in the box last week from a young man who uh, wrote in there you know what I am really struggling walking the walk and I need help I need accountability I need these different things Because it's difficult in this world to profess one thing when your mind is all tied up somewhere else. And this is the Christian experience, right? So this young man writes this in the prayer request box and puts it in there. And so we get to talk for about an hour, start to pray about that. Well, the next day I get a phone call. End of school. This kid calls me and says, you're just not going to believe this. I was walking through the hall and somebody ran into me, physically ran into me, and said, hey, you should come to this Bible study that we have. Okay, so the kid goes to the Bible study and, and God meets him there and all of these things start to happen and he finds his accountability, he finds the support that he needs. He, in one day, I'm hearing this on the telephone and what do I start doing? I start laughing because I have the plan. Well, we'll get this kid into Bible study and we will um, set up some kind of accountability with an older uh, brother and, and then we'll do... I, I got the plan. We're, we're set. I'm going to put this thing in order and God says, oh, no, no, no. Watch this. One day, I already have the person picked out. I already have the plan. And so I just start laughing and try to run off the road. You shouldn't talk on the cell phone and drive and laugh at what God's doing at the same time. But it, it's just... When, when you see the power of God, when God's glory just kind of gets in your face... And you go, only God can orchestrate the affairs of men to bring one of his people closer to himself. Oh, we can plan it. 
And when you read our mission statement about we're here, we're going to create environments that you can encounter God in his word, and we can create environments to do these things. And we try to create all these environments here at Windsor Community Church so that you'll meet God here. But in the end, there's nobody lying to themselves and thinking, well, it's our environments that um, allow you to get closer to God. No, it's when God intersects with time and space and grabs onto you and moves you closer to himself. And when that happens, anybody that has eyes to see, those of us who, who have been walking with the Lord and just desire to see God's glory, just, you're just overcome by it. And there's involuntary, I mean, sometimes you start crying, sometimes you start laughing, some people fall on their face on the ground and roll around and go, you gotta be kidding me. 90, 100 years old and I'm gonna have a child and heir and that's how you're gonna, that's how you're gonna work this promise to be, uh, fruitful and to, uh, to bless all nations through us. That's how you're gonna do it. And you just gotta see Abraham saying, only God. Only God. I think in our lives, we, we have this tendency to miss out on those moments by claiming um, I forget the word. What's the word when two things happen? Coincidence, coincidental. By claiming that things happen coincidentally or, or we see things happen and Instead of stopping and just being in awe that God just moved somewhere and giving God the credit for that and saying, God, thank you that you moved that way. Even in that little thing where you saw God move, so often we can say, well, yeah, that's because, well, yeah, that's because, right? We're not postmodern. We're in the church. We're modernists. We know that everything is cause and effect. We know that we do something and it responds. Something happens. And so often we take, we take that glory that's meant for God as God is moving among us and we just kind of tack it on our shirt as a little button. Did that right there, right there. That's what I did. And instead God is saying, but, but I just moved in your life. I just did this thing and you missed it. How often do we sit and just say, okay, God, like Moses. Moses, God says, you know what? Um, I'm going to give you one request. I know who you are, and I want to give you one request. What's the request that you would like? And what did Moses say? He said, God, show me your glory. That's all I want to see. That's all I want to see. I want to see you and nothing else. And when we want to see all these other things other than see God, we get, we get all confused. And so God desires that we see this. There are a number of examples in Scripture also where the Bible says, you know what, the, uh, the devil or the, the God of this world has blinded the eyes because we can see God in the little things and give God glory, but there were really big things. There were little, really big things like the gospel, like salvation, like these other things that people can look at what God is doing in the lives of people and cast it off as, yeah, they just needed, they needed some kind of a crutch or... Yeah, God's probably good for them. Or, you know, it's because they're so emotionally unstable, that's why, that's why they took that God thing. Right, you hear this all the time. And when it comes to salvation, it says that the God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving so that they can't see the light of the, glory, of the gospel of Christ, the glory of God. You, they can't see it. 
And so this is something we have to train our minds in. When you see things happen, you just sit back and ask yourself, God, did you just, did you just do something? Show me your glory. Don't let me miss it. Don't let me miss it when you do these things. And so when, when God interacted this way with Abraham, he fell on his face and he laughed. I have written down here the laughter is generated when your big plans meet an infinite God because we all make plans for things but when they interact with an infinite God they just something seems to get put into perspective a little bit you know the passage in, in Proverbs it says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your understanding, but acknowledge him in all his ways and, and he'll direct, in all your ways and he'll direct your paths. Well, it's kind of what this laughing, this is what happened with Abram right here. He stopped and he said, hmm, I was leaning on my own, I did it my way. And God said, no, we're not going to go this way. And Abraham said, okay, I'm going to acknowledge you in all my ways. And what we see is God directing Abram's path. It's a great proverb for here. Hmm. Now, uh, where does this joy go? So he's rolling on the ground laughing. If he stayed on the ground laughing for too long that could be problematic and, and where is this supposed to go so you, you interact with God you see that God is doing something and you're amazed by it but then what if it ends there that amazement becomes sentimentalism right that's when you go to the coffee shop and you start telling people oh got me a miracle today got me a miracle and, and it doesn't actually impact your life the way God intended it to impact your life. When God interacts with you that way, it is meant to drive you to worship, to obedience. That's it. That's it. When God interacts with us, it's to draw us closer to himself. And, and that has to, re, it has to end in worship. It has to end in obedience. And we see that, I'm going to get a little ahead of myself, but we see that in the end of this chapter where as soon as God leaves Abraham, Abraham gathers everybody up, and what does he do? Snip, snip, right away. There's no, that's going to hurt. We ought to wait on that one for a minute. Let me think through this again. I'm 89 years old. Uh, It's going to be a couple days till that gets itself healed up. Okay, He he had so many reasons to put this off for a little bit. But when you interact with God, it's not meant to just be all this great experience it's meant to draw you closer to him and as you draw closer to god it will manifest itself in obedience it can't help it you want to know why you're not close to god check where you're disobedient ask god god would you expose to me any wicked way that's in my heart just like david prayed ask god i I feel this distance from you why 
Expose anything in me that's keeping me from you. When you get closer to God, that will manifest itself in obedience. Does that mean you're perfect? Well, of course it... No. We're still in the flesh suit. Anybody that says he's without sin is a liar and the truth is not in him. But we have everything we need for life and godliness. So as we come to Christ, we can ask for forgiveness. But if we are feeling distant from God, one good indicator is that there's disobedience in your life. There's disobedience in your life. Okay, that was jumping way ahead. We're coming back now. So then Abraham, he was, uh, he was encouraged by this time with the Lord and he, he felt some confidence. There's some confidence in him. And, and you can almost see this progression where we have, we have him interacting with the Lord and that producing confidence. And so he has this confidence to make this one request. God, that Ishmael could live in front of you. That's so how he says it. What he means is, could Ishmael be this one? Could Ishmael be my heir? Isn't Ishmael good enough? I mean, he's already 13, 14 years old, 13 years old. And, and it'd be a whole lot easier because we already started this process. I love this boy. He's great. He's a great hunter. He's strong. He's a good fella. He'd make a great heir. How about, how about just him? Because if you say no, the things I've been telling Ishmael for the last 15 years... Uh, it's going to come down kind of hard because I kind of assumed that he was the one. Because there was nothing unlawful about me marrying Hagar and, and, and nothing unlawful about me having a son. And so I kind of solved the problem. Can't, can't Ishmael just be the one? And God says, <clears throat> no. Didn't hurt to ask. God said, no. Why? Now first, so there's two whys I have to ask here. Why number one, why did he even ask? God said, your wife Sarah is going to have a child and she's going to be a mother of many nations. Kings are going to come from her. You're going to have this child and you're going to name him Isaac. How much more specific can you get? Oh, by the way, this is going to happen next year. You don't get any more specific than that. And then Abraham says, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I have a different idea. God, just one moment. Why did he ask? And the Bible doesn't really tell us, and so I have to go into speculating. And so we don't even have to talk about that. But if you just get in Abraham's head for a minute, I mean, the man, he loved his boy. He's 13 years old. He spent all this time out in the flocks with him and hanging out with him. He just loves his boy. And that's one, and... And two, there is some momentum going on here. He, I'm sure, thought this is the one. I'm sure when Ishmael was born, Abraham was probably not real shy about telling everybody around him, God is going to make us a great nation. Sand of the seashore, all these people, Canaan, yada, yada, yada. There is a great promise for us. And all of his friends probably came when Ishmael was born and said, there he is. There's the air right there. And, and now, what do we have? We have God saying, no. No, that was your solution. That was your solution. That was not my solution. 
That was a solution from the flesh. That was a solution that you could produce. Any monkey could do that. Okay, maybe that's not the right way to say that, but, but there's nothing special about that. What I'm going to do in this multitude, in this nation about bringing the Messiah and reconciling man to God, there can be no hint of you thinking that you did it. None. And so God says, you know what? Now that you've, you think you've done this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create this contrast now. Watch this. I'm going to do something that's absolutely impossible. Your 90-year-old wife is going to give birth after she has been barren her whole entire life. She's going to give birth. That's how God acts. Roll on the ground and laugh about that. Because you can't get that in your head. When you sit back and just, just think about the awesome wonders of God and how he saved you and how he saved your friends and, and these different things that have happened in your life, your knees get weak. And you say, only God could do that. Only God could do that. And that's what he means. You are not going to take any glory from him and say, got my button. There we go. Right here. I produced offspring. I led my kid to Christ. And and four other of his friends too. You didn't do anything. God makes it absolutely perfectly clear that you are saved by grace through faith. It's nothing that you can do. And so he makes that evident right here at the beginning of this covenant when he says all nations are going to be blessed by you. He makes it clear right now that this salvation does not come from something that you can produce. In Galatians 4, he goes off and builds this contrast even further and says, you know what? We have have the son of the slave woman and we have the son of the free woman. And, And which one are you going to follow? Because the slave woman was done in the flesh. That's you attempting to create your own way. But the way I do things is a way that you can't possibly take glory from me. That's how salvation happens. If you can come up with it yourself, you can just guarantee it's wrong. I'm going to do it in such a way that only I get the glory for it. I'm going to tell this story anyway. Many of you know my story about my condemnation chairs. Yeah, I knew that was going to sound funny, but I have these two chairs. And, and, and one day, a couple of years ago, um, my family knew that we were, we were going to change what we did for a living and that we had better start uh, being better stewards of what God has given us. And so we decided every time we make a purchase, we're going to go to the Lord and we're going to say, we're going to wait on you Tell us, uh, just we're going to wait until we get a piece about this purchase or whatever and we're going to let you work in our lives this way so that we can see you working instead of every time I want something, we just pull out the money and go buy it. We're done with that. Okay, old habits die hard. And so one day we decided we need a, we need a recliner because we want somewhere to sit where we can read and be godly, right? I want to be able to read my Bible somewhere. and Oh yeah, you can justify things all kinds of ways. And so... So we go out and I said, you know, the first thing we need to do, we need to go to Habitat for Humanity and look at these chairs. And so I go there and I look at them. I said, that one's got a stain. That one's not exactly perfect. Okay, none of them are perfect. I can't buy it here. We're leaving. So off we go. And instead of buying a $10 chair, we end up at Lazy Boy. So we show up at Lazy Boy and, and there's the chair. Three times what we agreed to spend. But they had, you know, 60 days, 90 days, same as cash. 
And so, oh, you can't beat that. And that's another thing I swore I would never do. And, and I signed up the little piece of paper and I took my, condemnation, uh, took my chair home. And so, I put the chair proudly in the room. But I also, I'm going to go overseas for a little bit and so I, I have to put a will together. This will connect, you'll see. And so I call a brother and I say, uh, I need you to sign as a witness on my will. Can you do that? Oh, yeah. So I go over to his house. He says, so what did you guys do today? I said, I went out and bought a chair. You got to come look at my chair. It's really nice. It's really expensive. He says, well, would you like another one? I said, another one? He said, oh, yeah. We, we got this new beautiful leather furniture and, and this leather chair that we have. Tears start trickling down my eyes. Um, we, it doesn't match the same color. I go downstairs, and here is this chair. That's three times the chair I bought, and he just wants to give it to me. Just wants to give it to me. So I said, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. So I took it home, and I have these two chairs. And many of you have actually sat in my condemnation chairs, and so every time that you sit in my chairs, I say, those are my condemnation chairs. It always reminds me of when I tried to do it myself versus when God had this chair just waiting for me if I would have just waited on him for a minute. But no, I had to go out... Slide the, I didn't even slide the past. Sign the name. I'm going to change the name from condemnation chair to, uh, to Isaac and <clears throat> Ishmael. Because it just seems to fit better. Now, excuse me, that's, that's funny when we're talking about chairs. But when we move from chairs to trying to orient our own salvation because we're going to do it our way, because I need to perform I need to earn some of my salvation. I need, to, I need to do it my way. I don't want to wait on the Lord. I don't like the way he's putting it together. I don't, like how, I don't like how God makes it all to where he gets all the glory and I don't get to help. I was told my whole life that, that God helps those who help themselves. And if you come halfway, God will meet you the other halfway. And, and I, I grew up learning all of these things. And so it's very difficult for me to say, I just have to wait on God and obey his word. And when God says you come to me by grace through faith, that's the only way. And this is so none of us can boast. We come to God his way. It's funny when we when we talk about chairs and us trying to orient our life that way. But there are millions and millions of people who are going to die without Christ. Because they refuse to live with the freed woman. Because they too are saying, God, can't Ishmael live in front of you? Can't I do it my way? I'm so close to you already. I've done all of these things. I've, I've made everything and put it all in place. So that one day I can cross the river and see you. And God says, I'm sorry, but it's my way or no way. And I say that you are saved by grace through faith, and that's it. You put your faith in what I have done through Jesus Christ, sending him, dying for your sin, him forgiving you, and then him reconciling you back to me. That is impossible for man. But what is impossible for man is possible for God. Only God can orchestrate bringing man and bringing himself back together. We can't do it. And so, as we read this thing about Abraham saying, but can't Ishmael live in front of you? 
that's Old Testament, but it has a whole lot of emphasis on where we are because that is us trying to say, can we live our way? Can we do it by our means? And God promptly says, no. No, I have provided for you freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, Galatians 5.1. You're not to live under the slavery of the law. You're not to live by trying to perform to make it to heaven. And I, I read an interesting thing, and, and it may or may not fit, and I hope you grab onto this even if it doesn't totally fit, but I was reading about what does it really mean to have freedom in Christ? Because as we stand up in church, we preach freedom, 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 freedom. You better get to Bible study. You better get to community group. You better get to church and Sunday school every week. And have you memorized your passages? Are you in accountability? Are you being transparent with everybody? We have this big, long list of things that if you're not doing it, you're not holy. But that's not what we mean at all. What we mean is a believer desires these things. And so as I was reading, I came across this thing where it said, you know, if I took a violin string and I put the violin string out on the, out on the table and I started to twist it, it's totally free. This violin string is sitting out on the table and it's just totally free to just do whatever. I probably shouldn't do that in public. It, to just wiggle. I mean, it just wiggles, right? It's free. It's totally free. But a violin string was never meant to sit on a table and wiggle around for no reason. It's not what it was designed for. And so though it's free, it has no purpose. It has no purpose, but it's for a believer as for a person who, who God desires to reconcile you back to yourself. What's your purpose? You've got to take that violin string and you put the violin string on the violin. And you have a master or a high school student or, or whatever... You, Tighten it down and... I'm sorry, my lack of music skills is about to show up here. But, but it, you make it to where it plays the right note or something. And it's on the violin. And, and once it's on the violin, then it has freedom to be played like it was meant to be played. To produce what it was meant to, be, to, to produce. Only when it's on the violin is it truly free. And so we see that again. Obedience is a manifestation, our desire to be closer to God, our desire to live, to be filled in this freedom is not the same as just, look, I can wiggle around on a table. And so when we say things like, yeah, you should be in community group, you should be in fellowship, you should be in your word and encountering God, these things are, I like to call them wells of grace. It's where you can go and just seep the dry sponge of your soul and just fill it up with water. All right, God just, he, he puts these wells of grace everywhere and we can go and we can take in these things. That's freedom. Because you are created by Christ to do good works. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood. Why? To declare the excellencies of, we all have purpose. As a believer, we're not just a, a violin string flapping around with freedom. God said, no, I have a way, and this way is so that you live in freedom. So let's end that off then with Abram's response, Abraham's response. 
when you read verses 22 to 27, you see Moses repeating himself three times. Whenever that's repeated like that in the Old Testament, he's doing it for a reason. He's making sure that the entire tempo of your reading slows down so that you don't miss it. This great, magnificent thing has occurred. We have law and grace smashing into each other here. No, Ishmael is not going to be the heir. Later on, we're going to see that Ishmael is kind of a representation, Hagar, representation of the law and living under the law. And we have Isaac, spirit, grace. This is where we're to live in freedom. We have this magnificent thing blasting into Abraham's mind. And as Moses puts this out to the Israelites, as they're reading this, he wants them to slow down and not miss that when God left Abraham, Abraham instantly acted in obedience. He did not wait. He did not think about it. Oh, you could bet I'd have thought about it. I mean, no, let's not go there. I would have thought about it for quite some time. What God had just asked Abraham to do, he said, I want you to take this 13-year-old boy and everybody around you and and yourself, and I want you to circumcise them. Oh, and by the way, don't forget to tell your 13-year-old boy that he really isn't the heir. And while you're at it, you may as well tell him that pretty soon, law and grace can't live together. And so pretty soon, you're going to have to throw him and his mom out. Send him out in the desert to die. Because law and grace can't live together. And this mistake that you made has brought about this, this tension Abraham's no dummy. When he leaves God, there is a lot on his plate. A little bit of stress? Uh Uh-huh. A little bit of anxiety, maybe? Uh Uh-uh. He trusts God. We know that. And that trust in God generated in him the ability to be obedient. Once again, trust in God, faith in God, is manifest in obedience to God. If the obedience isn't there, neither is the faith. We can talk it. We can talk and we do it all the time. But when scripture tells us that we need to sit daily, we need to sit and examine ourselves to see that we be in the faith. Examine, do we desire to see the glory of God? That when God interacts in our life, that we actually see it and don't call it coincidence? We're examining ourselves. If God were to ask us to do these things and correct this issue that we created, would we step out in obedience and correct it? I was confronted with that this week with a mistake that that perpetually, it just seems like I grow in this mistake because I don't know how to get out of it. And it's in the, the way I think and just cowardice. And this week it hit me again that, you know, I don't even know how to get out of this. 
What does it even look like to be obedient? And I'm guessing that adults all have things like that in your life where you feel like you're in a, in, in a river being swept down by decisions you made in the past and you don't know how to get out of it. That's where God says, you know what? With man, it's impossible. But with me, all things are possible. As we encounter God, that desire for obedience will just become overwhelming to us as we desire that. Lord God, thank you for your word. God, I thank you for Abraham. And when your word tells us that he's there for an example for us, God, just thank you for showing us yourself through him and how you interacted with him. Now, would you give, would you just take your word this morning and, and, and package it, God, anything that I said that, that wasn't in your will, God, that you would just filter that and And God, that your word would sit on us today and that we would just truly desire to see you in your glory and respond to you obediently. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.